Today on Not Sam Wrestling, after an extremely eventful Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so much to break down, Roman Reigns has been pinned. The next Not Sam Live event coming up, and so much more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. your host from New York. Here is Sam Roberts. Oh man. Can you believe it? It's a different world we're living in. Oh, thank God I'm still here. Who knows how to predict any of this anymore? Well, it's just a well-told story. Who would have thought in 2023 we'd be getting well-told stories? Welcome to episode 454, I believe. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. And we come to you at a different point in time. We come to you with history having fully changed. We come to you at a time in the wrestling world when Roman Reigns has been pinned. Yes, Money in the Bank is behind us. And in front of us, a world in which Roman Reigns cannot talk about a three-year run that he's had without ever having his shoulders be pinned to the mat. The story has been the same since Roman returned at SummerSlam 2020. And as a matter of fact, as much as the pandemic era of WWE is kind of not highlighted i think just because a lot of people don't want to see thunderdome and performance center era stuff it just wasn't the same but over the weekend after money in the bank wwe uploaded the full match of braun Strowman defending the universal championship against the fiend that was the match that roman reigns returned to the wwe he disappeared right before wrestlemania no return in sight, no track. And he showed up at SummerSlam 2020 after the Fiend beat Braun Strowman for the Universal title, jumping both men at the end of that match a week later. We only had a week between pay-per-views in 2020. Payback was the pay-per-view that came a week after SummerSlam of 2020. And... Only a week later, Roman Reigns is on SmackDown leading to payback. The announcement is made that a triple threat match has been made. The Fiend will defend against both Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns at the payback pay-per-view. And how did this all get done? That iconic wrestling world-changing zoom-out and reveal of Paul Heyman sitting on the couch next to Roman Reigns and the Bloodline saga, not story, saga, officially begins. And and what is becoming, I think, the greatest wrestling story ever told uh, uh, starts. And it really is amazing thinking about how far we've come. You know, you wonder why the announcement was made about payback returning as a pay-per-view. WWE has made it clear. 
that when it comes to premium live events, they're changing their strategy. Premium live events are either gonna be centered around a specific destination and big event, that being Backlash in Puerto Rico, you know, uh, 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 Night of Champions in Saudi Arabia, obviously Money in the Bank in the United Kingdom, or it'll be storyline related. You have to believe that the reason payback of all pay-per-views has returned to the WWE lineup is because payback is the pay-per-view where Roman Reigns won the Universal Championship. You've got to imagine that coming off of SummerSlam, whatever happens at SummerSlam, that somebody will challenge Roman Reigns and threaten to take the championship away from him at the same event that he won it at three years earlier. Before we get there, we've got to talk about what we saw over the weekend. We've got to talk about Money in the Bank and the fact that Jey Uso pinned Roman Reigns. Now, I believed that Roman and Solo would win, but the Usos winning was certainly not unfathomable, right? It was a conversation to be had. It, either way made sense to me, and there were different ways that you could do it. But the idea of Roman getting pinned that was a that was a, a a hoop dream, I think, for a lot of people. We've been teased with that so many times that I think as fans, we'd be fools to walk into a show fully believing this is the one where Roman Reigns gets pinned. This is the one where Jey Uso, who was Roman Reigns' first foil after winning the Universal Championship three years ago, was Jey Uso, main event Jey Uso, who is his first grudge that Jey Uso would now, three years later, be the one to get the fall, and he did. I mean, I just think that that Civil War match was so important. And you can compare the Bloodline saga, by the way, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the fact that Marvel has gone through multiple phases. The Bloodline has also gone through multiple phases. And while it may not be one of the main tier movies, meaning superhero part one, superhero Iron Man part one, Iron Man part two, Captain America part one, Captain America part two, Civil War, Iron Man versus Captain America is not only one of the most beloved movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but when it comes to telling the story in that phase, it's an essential part of the story. The same could be said for the bloodline, Civil War. And that's not just because it's finally the comeuppance. It's not just because it's finally the moment that the Usos, who we've all kind of come to this realization, that are arguably the greatest WWE tag team to ever exist. It's like it used to be one of those things where you would say that and somebody would go, slow down, slow down, slow down. Now when you say it, even if... Somebody doesn't agree with you. They don't really stop you. They know exactly where you're coming from. So I found the Civil War match so intriguing because it was everything that's good about this bloodline story. The Civil War match itself, the tag match between the Usos and Roman and Solo, it was this massive 
payoff. It, it, it was about the entire arc. It was about the entire last three years. If you look at that match, move for move, we're almost going through a history lesson of what the bloodline has been and the fact that the Usos and Jay specifically has learned every step of the way. Jay Uso is not a non-playable character in this scenario. Jay Uso is a main character. There are those who think the bloodline story is really Jay Uso's story. I disagree. I think that he Jay Uso has had phases where it's been his story, but ultimately the bloodline story is the Roman Reigns story. That said, when you look at 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 how the match played itself out, the fact that that at one moment Roman Reigns piled the Usos with the help of Solo Sokoa on top of each other, reenacting the finish of WrestleMania 37, right? No, 36, when he piled up Edge and Daniel Bryan on top of each other. He reenacted that finish. But the thing that he didn't take into account was that the Usos were a part of that finish. The Usos were presumably part of the planning that went into that finish. If anybody was prepared for Roman Reigns to be up to his old tricks, it was the Usos. How about when you could count Jey Uso out and Roman went for the cover and in the kickout, Jey Uso brings the arm up and hits Roman with the low blow. Where have we seen that before? Go all the way back to the beginning of the bloodline. That's a finish that we saw Roman pull on Jey Uso. That was one of those key moments where you're going, oh my God, that's genius. And, oh my God, this is who Roman Reigns is now. And Jey Uso couldn't believe it when it happened to him. But he accepted that it happened to him. And he learned from the fact that it happened to him. And so now, when he's in the same scenario that Roman was in with him, he knows the game. He knows what Roman's plan is, and he knows what Roman has done to get himself to where he is today. And therefore, he's able to not only avoid mistakes that others have made, but repeat the actions that Roman has taken to get to where he's at. Why? Because the Usos have been there. Jay Uso has been there. He's been learning as we've been watching him be beaten down, as we've been watching his 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 brain, his his mental deteriorate from the abuse that it's taken from Roman Reigns. He's actually been taking everything in. At no point were his eyes closed. Even when his head was down, as Roman was scolding him, his eyes stayed open and he learned from everything. And that's the story that we saw in the Roman Reigns-Usos match. And ultimately, I believe that's why one would argue they were able to win the match that that Roman has not evolved past the point that the people who know all his secrets couldn't figure him out. Now, this is why Roman's only got one choice going forward, and that's to evolve or die, as is the way of the world. Evolve or die. So, so, so where does this lead us. I mean, if anything, the, what the match teaches us is what's so great about the bloodline story. In the bloodline story, everything counts. I think that's 
why so many wrestling fans love this storyline so much, that nothing is without merit. And that's not to say that they've meticulously planned things out three years in advance, but that is to say that they're paying attention to everything that they do. And when they decide to do things, they go back in history to reference what they've done before. Well, what if we do this for a finish? Nah, it doesn't make sense to do that for a finish because it wouldn't line up with what you did two years ago. Oh, right. So if I did this two years ago, it would make sense that I would do that now. Right. This isn't something that's done in wrestling. This is something we've always wanted to be done. This is something that some of our favorite stories ever see, but day to day, generally speaking over time, we don't see nearly enough of this. And now we're seeing it. And what happens when you actually do this? What happens when you pay attention to everything that you're doing throughout a story? What happens when you take accountability for the actions of your characters and have those characters reflect those actions even years later? What happens is you have an audience so compelled that every time Roman Reigns steps in a ring, or at this point, every time Roman Reigns grabs a microphone and shows up on SmackDown, the wrestling world is glued to it. Look at what happened on Friday in London before Money in the Bank. When Roman had that tension with Solo and all this, the, the split between Roman and Solo is now being teased so heavily. And that could happen. I don't see that happening immediately. It could. I know as, as people paint these scenarios, I, I don't see it. Here's, here's what I see happening more uh, uh, quickly. Here's what I see happening in the immediate future. As I said weeks ago, I think the from Night of Champions, the path was always Usos versus Roman and Solo at Money in the Bank, Roman versus Jay Uso at SummerSlam. And it doesn't take a wrestling genius today to say this is most likely where we're going or where we should be going. That it's the SummerSlam main event WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. Storyline-wise, not only is that where we should be going, it's where the fans want this story to go. It's where all of us, we are, all of us going to SummerSlam, we want to be sitting in a seat watching Roman versus Jey. We want to turn on Peacock and see Roman versus Jey. Turn on the network, wherever you are, the match that you want to see probably is Roman versus Jay. You don't want to see Roman versus AJ yet. Roman versus whoever yet. You want to see this played out because we're finally getting it. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens up in their box watching this thing because they're so invested. Even though they're not involved in the story anymore, everything counts. It's the bloodline. So everything counts. So of course, Sami is still emotionally tied up in this. And Sammy was emotionally abused by Roman Reigns. That's why you can't just let it go. Most storylines, once the match happens, once the winner is declared, we're done and we're moving on to the next thing. Sammy and KO moved on. They had their thing with Imperium. They did their thing on SmackDown with Pretty Deadly. But guess what? Everything counts in the bloodline. This is the power that Roman has. Sammy Zayn is still, he's still, Roman is still, living rent-free in Sami Zayn's head. I think it's, it, and, and the thing about the bloodline too, and this is so key, 
is that in the beginning of Roman Reigns' title reign, it was all about building up opponents for him. Well, who's the next opponent going to be? Well, who's the next opponent going to be, right? It was like, once he took out most of the people on the active roster, once he took out the Braun Strowmans of the world, once he took out uh, 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 the edges of the world, the Daniel Bryans of the world, well, now it's, who do we have for super opponents for Roman? Now it's time to bring back John Cena. Now it's time to bring back Goldberg. Now it's time to bring back Brock Lesnar to have a series of matches. Well, where does that leave us now? Now, the narrative has gotten so deep. The story has gotten so much more important than a traditional title run that Roman's one-on-one and, and Roman's title matches are so few and far between that Roman's one-on-one title matches are now essential storytelling beats. It's where does the narrative lead us that story-wise it would make sense that this is Roman's opponent. There's no longer a thing where we believe somebody can beat Roman because they're a better wrestler. As fans, the only time we believe Roman Reigns is going to lose is when we can buy that the story makes sense for Roman Reigns to lose. And that's been this entire year. Look at 2023. Royal Rumble, Kevin Owens is Roman Reigns' opponent. Why is Kevin Owens Roman Reigns' opponent? We know Kevin's not going to beat Roman. God bless KO. We know he's not going to beat Roman, but we also know that something's got to give with Sami Zayn. That leads us to February. Sami Zayn. Why is Roman Sami Zayn's opponent? Because storyline-wise, it would make sense that Sami is the one to finally end this for Roman. He doesn't do it. Cody is the next opponent at WrestleMania. Why is Cody the next opponent at WrestleMania? Because storyline-wise, it would make sense that Cody Rhodes would be the one to beat Roman Reigns. Why? Because Cody needs to finish the story. What we didn't realize at the time was at WrestleMania, we weren't watching Cody's story. Cody thought it was Cody's story. It was still Roman's story. But we forgot. So where does that lead us for his next opponent? We've had two tag matches with Roman. He's got to defend that title at SummerSlam. Storyline-wise, the only person right now that you ask the average WWE fan and they would tell you it makes sense that this person would be the one to beat Roman Reigns is Jay Uso. Jay, that's been a conversation that I've had with many a fan. Yes, naturally, Jay Uso has to be the one to beat Roman Reigns. That's the way it's got to happen. And now it looks like we'll hopefully get that match at SummerSlam. But what I believe is going to happen here is that Jey Uso got that pinfall victory over Roman Reigns to say, hey, this Jey Uso, this is Jey's story. Jey Uso is the guy. Jey Uso is the only person on the WWE roster or outside the WWE roster that's been able to pin Roman Reigns. One pinfall, and Jey Uso did it. That makes us believe, oh, Maybe they would go all the way with Jey Uso. And over the next four weeks, I guarantee it, a lot of work is going to be done to convince us even further that the WWE would be crazy 
not to put the title on Jey Uso. We will get to August 5th with many of us saying no. I mean, I understand that might not have been their plan initially, but the WWE would be insane not to have Jey Uso win the title. The only reason people are going to SummerSlam is to see Jey Uso win the title. They've got to pull the trigger. They got to just do it. And then we'll get to SummerSlam and we'll see Roman and Jay and it will be the saga of all sagas, the story of all stories. And we'll convince ourselves that this is the end of the bloodline story. And the story ends with Jay Uso because it's always been about Jay Uso holding that title over his head. Except then Jay Uso will eat a Superman punch and Roman Reigns will pin him. And we'll go, what? And we'll be sad and we'll cry and we'll stop watching WWE and we'll do everything that we've done now multiple times. And we'll sit there and we'll go, I understand long-term storytelling, but WWE has to understand when they've got lightning in a bottle. I don't want any more conversations about WWE has to understand when they've got lightning in a bottle. They've had lightning in a bottle three times this year alone. And they're going to have it again at SummerSlam with Jey Uso. All the WWE has this bottle and it's got a thick metal base and they leave it outside the house during thunderstorms. And all that happens is lightning keeps striking the bottom of the bottle and somebody keeps bottling it up and going, we got it again. If you are watching the product and that's all I ask, I don't ask for a lot. I'm not one of these gatekeepers. But if you're going to listen to Not Sam Wrestling, just watch the product. That's it. That's the whole motto. Okay? I don't care if you started watching the product one week ago. You don't have to be a, a fan of, of, of wrestling for 20 years. You don't have to know the ins and outs. You don't have to be thinking about this day in, day out the way I am. All you have to do is watch the product. Watch the product. Because if you'll watch the product, you'll see all WWE has done is caught lightning in a bottle. Sami Zayn was lightning in a bottle. A month later, Cody Rhodes was lightning in a bottle. At SummerSlam, Jey Uso will be lightning in a bottle. But this isn't the end of the Bloodline story. Go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. SummerSlam will mark the end of Phase 2. I don't, I think, I don't think Roman's losing the title. I think that after SummerSlam, we enter phase three. I think that the destruction of the bloodline will happen when the bloodline is at its strongest, when Roman is at his strongest. Roman's downfall will happen when Roman's at his strongest. The only thing comparable to Roman losing that title is the Undertaker streak. Now, the Undertaker streak is a, is a higher degree because you're talking about decades in the making. There will never be anything as big as the Undertaker streak ending. But at this point, in the modern era, I'm not talking about the, the, the golden era. I'm not talking about the era when champions regularly had their titles for years. I'm talking about the modern era. This is number two, in my opinion. And when somebody beats Roman, 
They've got to beat Roman at his strongest. When Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker's streak, we were not going into WrestleMania going, ah, yeah, streak's probably going to end this year. Yeah, it's time. It was uh, unfathomable. Nobody went to WrestleMania 30 thinking Brock Lesnar would beat the streak. Zero people. Zero. You got to have as few people thinking Roman is actually going to lose as possible. And the only way to get there is to make Roman his strongest. And the only way to make Roman his strongest is to have him get through his weakest part and have phase three be the strongest Roman Reigns that we've ever seen. This is what it, this is. Phase one is the building of Roman Reigns. And I'll say phase one is the longest phase by a mile. It goes from the SmackDown after SummerSlam 2020, the introduction of Paul Heyman to arguably, I would probably say the introduction of Sami Zayn to the bloodline. I think phase one is about Roman and Jey Uso, ultimately. Phase two, and Jey's story continues out through phase two, but phase two is the Sami Zayn story. So I would say from the moment that Sammy gets accepted into the bloodline up until Royal Rumble of this year is phase two. I'm, I'm sorry, up until, no, we're still in phase two because this is still runoff of that story, right? Phase two is Roman bringing Sammy in. And with Sammy leaving, it, the, the the aftermath of that is this 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 more this crazier Roman this this Roman that's gone mad with power this Roman that 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 can't cope with perceived disloyalty that's that that started when Sammy came on because we saw it when Sammy was there and Roman almost threw him out of the bloodline. And it ends with the Jey Uso match at SummerSlam. And once he beats Jey Uso, then it becomes like, well, look, if you don't think that Roman is the guy that he says he is, if you don't think Roman, like there's no question anymore. If you don't think Roman is the head of the table after he beats Jey Uso clean in the ring, then that's when the questions end. And that's when the bloodline Roman Solo and Paul Heyman are able to hit another level that they haven't hit yet. And I believe that we will ride that level through SummerSlam all the way into WrestleMania next year. I don't think the bloodline's going anywhere anytime soon. I think that probably post-WrestleMania is when you'll get the Solo turn and hopefully the Roman Reigns babyface turn as they keep Solo heel. But as far as SummerSlam goes, I think you've got Jay and Roman. And I think just like Elimination Chamber, just like WrestleMania, heartbreak is ahead. That's why Jay Uso got the pin. Roman and Solo lost at Night of Champions. Roman and Solo lost at Money in the Bank and Roman got pinned. Now we believe 
Now we believe that Roman is beatable. And just as we believe that, we realize it was the biggest mistake we could ever make. Because now Roman comes back, destroys Jey Uso, and moves forward a more powerful Roman reigns than we have ever seen. That's where I'd like to see it go. It's not a prediction. It's a spoil. No, it's not a prediction or a spoiler. It's just what I'd like to see happen. Now, before we move into the rest of Money in the Bank, uh, I want to make a big announcement because I couldn't make it at the top of the show because I had so much bloodline to talk about. But uh, SummerSlam is going to be an even bigger event because Not Sam Wrestling Live is coming back Saturday, right before the big show. 5 p.m., we will be at the Detroit House of Comedy bringing you Not Sam Wrestling Live. Here's the beauty of it. The Detroit House of Comedy is one block away from Ford Field. So don't worry about, you know, we're going to get there early so we can get a good parking space. We're going to get there early just so we're in the neighborhood. But then we got nothing to do. We're just going to sit around the parking lot. We're just going to walk around. We're going to go to the WWE store. Do all that. But understand, get to the show early, come over to the Detroit House of Comedy, we'll be doing a live Not Sam show, and we'll get you out the door to make sure you got plenty of time to get to the venue, okay? We'll be on, we'll start at 5 o'clock, you know, an hour and change, and then you're one block away from Ford Field. Get your tickets now at NotSamLive.com. We had an unbelievable time at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles uh, right before WrestleMania this year. If you missed that show, you can actually watch the full show on YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling if you want to get a taste of what we do with these live events. Uh, But I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited to see if uh, doing a show right before the pay-per-view within walking distance, one block, if that's something that people are into. So if it's something that people are into, There's only one way for me to find out, to see you there. Get tickets now. I don't know how fast they'll go. NotSamLive.com is the spot. Get the tickets now if you're going to be there in Detroit for SummerSlam. August 5th, 5 p.m. show. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, Speaking of phenomenal, honestly, the whole Money in the Bank pay-per-view was awesome. Uh, I think the... uh, The bloodline obviously stole the conversation uh, when it comes to talking about what happened at Money in the Bank. But I think going into Money in the Bank, it was exactly what you want the conversation to be. The conversation was about the Money in the Bank match. The conversation was about whether or not L.A. Knight, yeah, was going to get the briefcase. And you know, the way I laid it out, and I, I talked to Peter Rosenberg on the Cheap Heat podcast. I talked about it here last week. That podcast is still up if you want to go back and uh, watch it or take a listen. Uh, my scenario was that Logan Paul wins this thing. He sneaks it from LA Knight at the very end of the match. He walks out holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. We know that he may very well cash in against Seth Rollins at any point. But he screwed over L.A. Knight. It leads to an L.A. Knight-Logan Paul match at SummerSlam. L.A. Knight, yeah, can beat Logan Paul at SummerSlam. That becomes his moment. He doesn't have to worry about holding the briefcase. He doesn't have to worry about becoming the world champion. 
After L.A. Knight beats Logan Paul on the on, on a giant stage like SummerSlam, he can come off of that. He can have a match with Austin Theory, you know, become the United States champion, turn babyface like he should already, and we're off to the races. That scenario, as I laid it out, won't happen because neither L.A. Knight nor Logan Paul won the Money in the Bank briefcase. Senor Money in the Bank is Damian Priest, the uh, certainly a logical choice going into that match. That was definitely one. If you're talking about all of the possibilities, uh, Damian Priest made all the sense in the world. Obviously, it, it, it played into the World Heavyweight Championship match as well between Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. Look, with all, all with everything going on, headline here is Damian Priest is, it's awesome that Damian Priest has that briefcase. I would love to see Damian Priest become the World Heavyweight Champion. I love that we've got Tyler Black and Punishment Martinez uh, potentially fighting it out uh, for that title. Clearly, the Judgment Day is going to be shaken, whether that's Finn Balor getting thrown out and he and J.D. McDonough start something, whether that's, I mean, I feel like if you're going to throw out Damian Priest, Rhea and Dom probably need to go with him because Rhea and Dom fit Damian Priest's vibe a lot more than they fit the Finn Balor, J.D. McDonough vibe. I don't know if the plan would be to turn, it would seem like you'd turn Finn Balor face because he has every right to be upset, right? Damian Priest, he comes out in this Finn Balor-Seth uh, Rollins match. And he said in the press conference, which was totally in character, which I love that, you know, these press conferences are in character. It's wild. But he says uh, that he came out just to cause a distraction, just to hopefully help Finn Balor, he said. But, of course, the match ends with, with Damian Priest standing up as if he's going to come in the ring and cash in his briefcase. Finn Balor is distracted by it going, what are you doing, dude? I got him beat. What are you doing? And that distraction is what causes Finn Balor to lose the World Heavyweight Championship match. So now we're left with Finn Balor upset with Damian Priest and Damian Priest probably not really caring because quite frankly, he's got the briefcase. So what difference does it make to him if Finn Balor is upset with him or not? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm for it. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like maybe the Judgment Day does to Finn Balor what they did to Edge. I'd kind of, I kind of like the idea of JD McDonough and Finn Balor, like Finn Balor presenting JD McDonough as a member of the Judgment Day, like really repeating the cycle and having JD join the Judgment Day and turn on Finn Balor. Like the guy that Finn Balor brings in, the Judgment Day takes him under their wing because JD McDonough plays a psychopath so well that I would think I would prefer him in the Judgment Day than in a babyface group with Finn Balor. Um, and then the idea of doing like, J.D. McDonough and Damian Priest versus like Finn Balor and Edge or something like that is just, Finn Balor and Edge is a tag team. It's just, although Edge is on SmackDown now, right? So Finn Balor would probably have to find a different friend. Either way, that's probably the direction I would go in with it. But I think what's pretty clear is even though L.A. Knight had his moment teased, like they really didn't do much with, L.A. Knight and Logan Paul. It seems, if you're just watching 
what Logan Paul has been doing in the ring. His last match was the Royal Rumble match. Oh, no, I mean, I guess he had uh, WrestleMania with Seth Rollins. But he had his Royal Rumble moment with Ricochet. Now he's got all these moments with Ricochet, including that insane last moment through the two tables, which I don't know how either of them survived, but Ricochet deserves a ton of credit for that move. Uh, I almost end up in a position where it's like, it feels like we go Logan Paul Ricochet. I didn't see a ton of chemistry, I'll say, between L.A. Knight and Logan Paul. Not that they don't get along with each other, but to say they didn't really, they weren't paired off in that match. L.A. Knight wasn't really paired off with anybody. L.A. Knight just had a series of spots where he'd come in and take everybody out and it looked like he might win and the whole crowd went wild and then somebody else knocks him off the ladder. That was kind of L.A. Knight's role in that match. I mean, it goes to show you how over L.A. Knight is and the fact that he needs to be a babyface yesterday when a couple weeks ago on SmackDown, he tried to tear Rey Mysterio Jr.'s mask off. This is a thing that heels have done since the dawn of time. And five seconds after he's trying to tear the mask off, the fans are cheering him. They're cheering LA Knight. They're in the UK. Butch is in the match. We're finally getting to see Butch Pete Dunne get the spotlight that we've all wanted him to get. And when Butch and LA Knight are on that ladder and Butch is throwing a shot and LA Knight is throwing a shot, Butch is getting booed and LA Knight is getting the yes. They're cheering for LA Knight. He's a good guy, period. And I hope that that change happens right away. For me, I feel like I totally understand why the decision was made. I, I totally uh, understand why you put Damian Priest in that position and why it clearly continues the story with Priest. It elevates Priest because he's clearly looking right at Rollins. This is not something where he's going to cash in against Gunther or something. He's looking right at Rollins going like he's already called his shot. And it furthers the Judgment Day story, which the Judgment Day story is extremely important on Monday Night Raw. That said, I don't think LA Knight was done any favors whatsoever in this match. You know, it was almost like there were spots where it was an acknowledgement like, yeah, we're acknowledging that you like LA Knight. We're acknowledging that you as fans enjoy LA Knight and that when he does stuff, you're going to cheer for him. We know. We'll give you reasons to cheer. We're just not going all the way with him. And I know Triple H in the press conference said, good things come to those who wait. I mean, I'd love to see what it is. Because even if he had lost money in the bank, but he had kind of gotten screwed or or coming out of money in the bank, you wanted to see LA Knight get revenge against somebody, then you would have been furthering that LA Knight story. But we didn't get that coming out of that match. LA Knight doesn't have... The reason LA Knight lost the ladder match is because he lost the ladder match. There's no... LA Knight can't go to SmackDown on Friday and go, well, I've got a problem with this person because of that ladder match. I don't think so, unless I'm wrong. You know, hit me with a comment or something, but... I think it it would have been LA Knight didn't have to lose, didn't have to win by any stretch. But he had to come out of that match with a story to tell. I mean, I would imagine that the plan is going to be to have LA Knight beat Austin Theory and become the United States champion. 
which will be good. It'll be fun. I just, you know, I wonder how much meat will be on the bone of that story. And maybe it'll be a lot. I don't know. I hope it is because you know me. You know this podcast. I love telling my stories. What was great about the Money in the Bank pay-per-view is that something, things kept happening. Every single segment had a reason for being, even the match where it was like, you know, I think that there were people who were, were going, okay, it's cool that there's a women's tag match on, but I'm still not sold on this women's tag team championship. The fact that Raquel and Liv got it, hopefully they have a nice long reign with that championship and can uh, establish it, add credibility to it. I think it's an excellent place for Raquel and Liv to be because those two are both mega stars and don't really fit into the world title picture. But I think that even though the Shayna uh, attacking Ronda Rousey is kind of random, it's interesting. I think it's a good spot for Shayna and Ronda to be in for a couple of reasons. Number one, I want to know why. You know, I'm I'm ready to hear Shayna's explanation. I'm more interested in both Shayna and Ronda now. I'm more interested in a match involving Shayna and involving Ronda because now they're involved with each other. And it's a story in the women's division that's not centered around the women's championship, which I have been a strong advocate for here on a podcast for, I feel like at this point, years. Every time conversation comes up about there being a secondary women's championship, I go, more than a secondary women's championship, I'd like to see high-stakes story for the women so that a, a secondary championship isn't necessary. Like, Ronda and Shayna belongs on a pay-per-view. Don't need a secondary title for it. This is where that blow-off has to happen because it's a big deal. Becky and Trish, that blow-off eventually has to happen. Hopefully, Becky and Zoe, too. I love the Becky-Zoe-Trish thing. I loved the finish of the women's Money in the Bank match. I was so happy that EO won that match. So happy to see EO won. It seemed like uh, that was an acknowledgement. That was a, yep, yep, no, we heard you. And we agree with you. EO is the one. The idea that at some point we'll get EO versus Asuka, hopefully impromptu for the briefcase. EO wins, and then we get a rematch. We'll get a big pay-per-view match between EO and Asuka. Hopefully with Asuka challenging EO because you want the cash-in to be successful. I love the way that sounds. I also love that the beauty of the briefcase is that we're all thinking about EO versus Asuka because that's what that briefcase, to me, screams. I don't see it as EO versus Rhea Ripley because I don't see EO beating Rhea Ripley. Uh, but we're also sitting there going, oh, but we're going to get EO versus Bailey too. Again, a storyline that doesn't need championships. Now, uh, one of the, uh, I think it was Hard Pass, one of our Not Sam Shills at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling had said that, uh, an interesting storyline involving the briefcase with EO could be that Bailey and EO, Bailey is trying to convince EO to cash in on the women's tag team champions so that she gets a piece of that briefcase too, which feels very Bailey to me. I love that idea. I think it's great. Um, will the turn comes after EO is champion? Maybe we don't go there. Maybe EO cashes in, beats Asuka, and now Bailey wants. Bailey turns on EO because she thinks she should be champion and wants a shot. Does it happen before the cash-in? I don't know. I would imagine after the cash-in, right, that Bailey pretends to be on her side, but 
keeps getting caught doing kind of shady stuff. Either way, I think it's uh, I think it's really really cool. Um, I think that that uh, aside from the Damian Priest thing, the Seth versus uh, Finn Balor match definitely delivered. Uh, we had a, a couple of major returns, of course. Drew McIntyre returned during the uh, right after the Gunther Matt Riddle match, which was great. Loved that match. Uh, just two guys beating the snot out of each other, which is Gunther's specialty at this point. And uh, Drew McIntyre comes back. Great place to have him back. London, massive ovation for this guy. Holds up that Intercontinental title, makes it known that that's his next goal. And we're moving towards Drew McIntyre versus Gunther, which is a great match. I mean, the triple threat was great at WrestleMania. It's almost like Drew McIntyre stepped away, presumably due to injury. That's what Triple H said at the press conference. Uh, and and then and and came back and just started right where he stopped. It's like when when the sequel to a movie comes out, and even though it's two years later in real time, the movie starts off right where the first one ended. Uh, for me, I still think. A Drew McIntyre heel turn is necessary. I thought we might see Drew McIntyre back at Money in the Bank, but my pick for him was to call out Seth Rollins. Um, he couldn't do that at Money in the Bank, I don't think, because it would have distracted from the Judgment Day storyline, which, again, is mighty important on Monday Night Raw. But I hope sooner than later Drew McIntyre turns and as a heel, goes after Seth Rollins. Uh, you know, I don't really want to see Damian Priest cash in that briefcase anytime soon. I want Seth Rollins to go through a couple of meaty stories. Not just matches, but stories as champion uh, before Damian Priest can cash in. And I think that eventually... Seth Rollins trying to get his title back from Damian Priest is going to be a hell of a match, but I'd rather see Seth versus Drew first uh, and a couple of other matches. Um, we also, of course, the biggest return at the show, the surpri most surprising moment, I think, was John Cena back. You know, John Cena from Not Sam Wrestling. You must have seen the interview that I did with him. About 200,000 other people did. John Cena... <laughs> Uh, back uh, to come out and cut a promo uh, on how great the uh, London fans are. You know, it's interesting because he was talking about the UK fans and how uh, they cheer and boo the wrong people. But that's not true when the story's done, right? You know, that's really not. If you watch that pay-per-view, save for LA Knight, watch Cody versus Dom. Cody gets cheered. Dom gets booed. The Usos get cheered. Roman and Solo get booed. Trish gets booed. Becky gets cheered. You know, I mean, it, save for LA Knight, which is not just a UK thing. It's a problem that they have all over the world. Yeah. The WWE is in a pretty nice spot right now, storytelling-wise, where the good guys get cheered. And believe it or not, people, after all these years of me requesting it, boo the bad guys. Um... But he was out saying, you know, they they want to get a WrestleMania in London. Um, 
which, you know, I, th- I, I, I think would be great. You know, I don't think they need WrestleMania, but I think the idea is, you know, I guess you could do two nights at Wembley. I saw some people going, well, the only reason John Cena said that was because they wanted to prove that, you know, AEW is not the only one. But I mean, I don't think that, that yeah, that's dumb. They didn't say that because they're mad that AEW sold a lot of tickets in Wembley. WWE sold out Wembley Stadium in 1992. You know, I mean, I'm sure that the successes of AEW are not something that the WWE is thrilled about. But I also don't think that they're getting John Cena to fly across an ocean to get into a ring because they're jealous of AEW. Like, that's that's not it. I did see, I think Meltzer wrote that it, it it may have more to do with trying to get a buzz going so that they can get London as a city or whoever it is to bid on it, right? That some some of these big cities don't need to pay WWE to bring WrestleMania to them because they're not hurting for tourists. And so that, I believe, that is one of those conspiracy theories that I can buy, but the other one, not so much. Um and it is, they're all just theories anyway. None of them are based in reality, but which we'll talk about in a second. But John Cena had a great uh, moment with, with Grayson Waller. Just a, just a wonderful opportunity for Grayson Waller. You know, get some shots in. Grayson Waller did not look shaken around Cena. He looked confident. Uh, I, was, uh, I was proud of him. I mean, and I, that feels a little demeaning. I don't like it when... People who are in no position to be proud of somebody are proud of them. It's like, great, you're proud of me. You're not my dad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need you to be proud. But I was, I was happy for him. He's never been in that position before. And those positions for him keep getting higher and higher. And he keeps meeting those challenges and meeting those challenges. So uh, I thought that was awesome. Really great to see Big Match John uh, back on a premium live event. And hopefully... I want to see John Cena have another giant match before long. I miss giant, not one, not Austin Theory, giant John Cena main event matches. I want to see this era John Cena on Raw several times leading up to a pay-per-view, right? The Roman Reigns era John Cena. I want another summer of Cena. That's what I want. I want another summer of Cena. Now, what we didn't get and it's really interesting right you go to i and i don't want to harp on this every week it's okay to get things wrong but nobody apologizes when they're wrong nobody acknowledges when they're wrong and they still credit themselves it's one thing for just like somebody predicting or a fan to go like oh this i hope this happens i hope that happens but the idea of somebody going like here is some news that's one thing you'll never hear on not sam wrestling is me going here's the news i know the news i don't know the news I don't ask anybody. But you've got wrestling news sources that were going, Cody may be, you know, in a lot of trouble. He's going to lose to Dominic because Brock Lesnar is going to interfere. And it's going to be the last match on the show. None of that happened. None of it. It was middle of the card, exactly where you thought it would be. And Brock Lesnar didn't come out and Cody won. The match went exactly like it should have gone. Dominic got booed. Cody got cheered. Cody got his victory. We'll move on to Cody versus Brock at SummerSlam. There's no reason for him to interfere in that match. There's no reason for Dominic. None of it made sense. And the idea, well, they said it was a main event, so we're going to report that it's going on last. The last three pay-per-views, they've had three main events. 
They said it's a main event match. And then all of a sudden, every wrestling news site is going like, this is the match that's going to close the show. Brock's coming back. At least here on Not Sam Wrestling, I tell you, I make it up in my head. I go, oh, I just start putting pieces together and I tell you a story. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing. If you go and say, this is what's going to happen because I heard Sam say it, they go, no, that's what Sam says he thinks could happen because he put it together in his head. But uh, you see what I'm saying. And then, of course, a lot of people, and you know this, you know this from the email segment, a lot of people were getting under my skin because they were fantasy booking Randy Orton. We do not fantasy book Randy Orton. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know anything about his injury. We don't know anything about his status. We don't fantasy book Randy Orton. And people said, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay to fantasy book Randy Orton now because a guy on Twitter found a remix of his music on Spotify. By, so he'll be back at Money in the Bank. What do you think he'll do? Stop fantasy booking Randy Orton. I don't know how many times I got to tell you this. All right. All right. Now that I got that off my chest, I do want to wish uh, a happy birthday to a couple of legends uh, since, our, since we last met on Not Sam Wrestling. Both Terry Funk and Brett the Hitman Hart have celebrated birthdays. Happy birthday to both Bret Hart and Terry Funk. Two legends, these two, who, I mean, just define professional wrestling, just bleed professional wrestling. You go through Terry Funk's career. And for Terry Funk, I feel like it's just everything he gave to professional wrestling, all the different eras he was a part of, all the people that he put over, all just, just the fact that he just loved it so much. Right, and just just made you believe. Terry Funk made you believe. You either you, you there in in a snap of a finger, you were there to support Terry Funk as he fought his way uphill. He's the guy that can do it. Or you feared Terry Funk. That crazy old bastard is gonna come into these stands. He's gonna rip me limb from limb. Everything he did, he made you believe. Bret Hart, everything Bret Hart did. He made you believe because he believed. People say that, that Bret Hart took the business too seriously. I wish everybody took the business as seriously as Bret the Hitman Hart did. The best. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. So happy birthday to Terry Funk and Bret the Hitman Hart. And rest in peace to Darren Drozdoff. Uh, of course, Droz, who unfortunately is most famous uh, for the horrible accident that occurred uh, in the ring that uh, left him paralyzed uh, uh, several, you know, 20 plus years ago. But Draws, uh, we all know the scene from beyond the mat. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. I mean, classic cinema is what that is. But I was a big fan of Draws. You know, Draws was brought in. Uh, to the WWE, and the first idea was to add him to the Legion of Doom. They wanted to keep the Legion of Doom uh, brand alive, and Animal and Hawk were getting older. They wanted to, they wanted, it's like what they had with Crush, right? Axe and Smash Demolition, the brand was so over, but Axe had a heart issue, 
So they were like, what if we just add a third member to demolition? We do Freebird rules. And that way Axe can come out, be a part of the act, but doesn't have to work. So they added uh, draws in to LOD 2000 as puke. And it didn't really pan out, you know, Legion of Doom will always just be the Road Warriors and they'll always be Animal and Hawk and, and you can't you can't mess with that perfection. But I loved uh, Pajama Pants era draws. That was my era draws. Just coming out, tattooed up, mohawk, looking like George Kittle before George Kittle, as a matter of fact, and wearing like cut off pajama pants in the ring. And just, I, I don't know, there was always something so cool about draws. He would go on and... Uh, start to get a little bit more creative, start to wear like uh, velvet tights, wear those like cat in the hat hats that were all the rage in the late 90s, teamed with Prince Albert for a while, all pierced and tatted up and everything. Uh, and I always thought that he had a lot more to give uh, to WWE and to wrestling before he was uh, injured so horribly. But rest in peace. I mean, you never meet anybody that has an unkind word to say about that guy. So rest in peace to draws. Um yeah, we got uh, fun stuff happening over in AEW. The Sting versus Jericho thing, I think, is exciting. It'll be interesting to find out whether we get it at all in or all out. I would imagine Sting versus Jericho is a 60,000-seat situation. It feels like a Wembley match to me, but I don't know. We'll see. And before we get to the emails, don't forget, live event, Not Sam Wrestling, coming live to the Detroit House of Comedy August 5th. That's SummerSlam Saturday. At 5 p.m., if you're going to SummerSlam, we'll be a block away from SummerSlam. So uh, just get there a little early, 5 p.m., come by, and uh, we're good to go. You know what that time is. It's time for emails, baby. Emails, you want to send me an email, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, oh, as I'm recording, I just got a new email, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start from the top uh, and work my way down. Don't forget, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, to subscribe to the channel. Uh, hit like uh, and leave a comment below. Maybe, you know, if the emails start to dry up, I'll uh, draw from the comments below. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, and if you're listening on Apple, uh, leave a review and a rating. If you're listening on Spotify, leave a rating. And, uh, yeah, just interact with the podcast. It's a big help. Let's go to Kyle Peterson. Uh, uh Kyle Peterson, I think that's an action. Kyle Robertson, who says, uh, hey, Sam, what's your favorite action figure based on the attire design? Thanks. I don't I don't know. I'd have to deeply think about that. I mean, there's a lot of really good ones. Mattel did a really great Fandango action figure, actually. That's like multicolored. That's really cool. But I'd have to I'd have to deeply think about that one. Uh, this one's coming from Tim. Uh, who says, now I love me some L.A. L.A. night, yeah. But honestly, he dodged a bullet, huh? It sucks he didn't win money in the bank, but the only thing worse than not winning is winning but failing to cash in. And this is true. L.A. Knight has a ton of support, uh, but his character isn't ready for main event title program yet, and he doesn't have the resume. It would have been disastrous like it was for Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziegler, uh, and Damian Sandow. No, I think that, I think that, as I said last week, it would have been horrible for L.A. Knight to win the briefcase uh, at the end of the day. By the way, uh, it was corrected. I said Austin Theory won a secondary title. He, I forgot that he went for a secondary title and failed the cash-in. So Austin Theory failed the cash-in and, a, again, is a casualty of that briefcase. Winning the briefcase, as I said last week, winning the briefcase is not the moment. 
winning the world title is the moment. And I don't see Austin, I, I don't see LA Knight beating Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns. Uh, Nicholas, a little question for you, uh, boss, this week. Everybody knows the greatest match in history, but what is is the forgotten match that you love? Uh, nobody remember it, but still special for you. Mine is Abyss and Taylor Wilde versus Raven and Daphne, Monsters Ball, Slammiversary 2009. That's super fun. I would probably go to Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett in your house too. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett in your house too. And I talked about it with Pat Buck on the Not Sam Wrestling show that is still on the WWE Network and Peacock, if you look it up uh, from a few years ago. But that match is so unbelievable, so underrated. People don't really talk about it so far ahead of its time. So that would probably be the one. Um, Indy from London, I hope you were at the pay-per-view. Sam, I made, okay, I made my way home from Money in the Bank this morning, so I thought I'd send you a question. I'm glad you were there, bro. Should have gotten you to pick up a program. I want to know if I was in it. Although I've been a wrestling fan since the late 80s, I never really got into how the business works until I started your podcast, which was after WrestleMania this year. Hell yes! Um, I'm interested to know what your plan would be for Carmelo Hayes once he gets drafted to Raw SmackDown. I know MVP spoke last year about a Hurt Business reboot with himself, Lashley, Hayes, and Trick Williams. Would that be the way you'd go? Keep up the great work. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that way. You know, I hosted the bump on Wednesday, last Wednesday, and Carmelo and Trick were awesome on it, especially Carmelo. It was, uh, he, he was awesome on it, and the way he fielded the questions that we gave him. Uh, I kind of feel like, like the way, what they're having, what they're doing with him right now works for him. It won't work for everybody. But exposing him gradually on Raw and or SmackDown really works. I mean, I might even do a thing where maybe maybe he comes in to help Finn Balor with the Judgment Day. I like the idea of like a mainstay because, you know, he got into it with the Judgment Day a little bit. The idea that Finn Balor and Carmelo Hayes start going after the Judgment Day, I think, I think that's, I, I would start to have some of the veterans bringing him in almost as a mentor deal and eventually have Carmelo Hayes turn on one of them, right? Maybe he teams with Finn Balor for a bit, maybe he teams with Rollins for a bit, maybe he teams with, and then he finally teams with a guy who's like, you're not better than me, turns on him. And then we start a program and now we're into uh, Carmelo's uh, run on the main roster. That's probably what I would do. Uh, Micah, what's the haps? Today we saw Money in the Bank and tonight uh, Jey Uso, the first one. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I believe this will set up Jey Uso versus Roman three. It's SummerSlam. I know, I know. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Wrestling Minute, in your opinion, should WWE have pulled the trigger on Lex Luger at SummerSlam 94? Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about SummerSlam 93. SummerSlam 94 was uh, Undertaker versus Undertaker. SummerSlam 93 was the year of the Lex Express and Lex Luger versus Yokozuna. SummerSlam 94 was Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in the cage. Um, so at ni- in 93... Should they have pulled the trigger? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it hurt them. You know, I think Brett was the guy anyway. Um, you know, and I don't know that I need to see Brett beating Lex Ford at WrestleMania. So I'd say no, you know. I think that in the moment, it probably confused a lot of people. But, you know, I I, 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 I think they got themselves into a, a, a pretty big mess after Hogan left at King of the Ring 93. Uh, and I don't think Lex, I think Brett was the guy to pick up after Hogan left. 
So maybe they could have given it to him before WrestleMania 10. But yeah, no, I think that I think that Brett was the guy, and I think Yoko was the guy for Brett to beat. My man Shiamo, uh, do you think the appeal of the world championship matches on weekly shows has lost its appeal? Remember how big of a deal it was when we get a world heavyweight championship match on SmackDown? No. No, I, I, I think that 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 you know, it's not just a war, it's it's the story behind a match is where the appeal lies. You know, that's all. So no, I think it's a big deal if Seth Rollins defends the world title on on Raw. Um, and I certainly think that if Roman were to defend the title on SmackDown, it'd be huge. Uh, Billy uh, started watching the podcast a couple months ago. Love it. Haven't missed one. I appreciate it, dude. I feel like MJF's two matches at the start of Collision uh, was a random thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think... I think I, I think it was a uh, it was a little random. Um, yeah, I, I don't always understand the creative directions that AEW goes in. I almost feel like maybe MJF, in a very real way, wanted to prove how good of a wrestler he is. Maybe I I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to MJF versus Adam Cole. Hopefully, that's what they do. At, I mean, will they wait all the way till All Out for that? And and do I mean that's not till September, so I don't know. I'm 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 I want MJF to get into another story. And I think it needs to be a little different, right? MJF is starting to do stories that are a little similar for my liking. I loved when he him and Adam Cole together are money. Him referencing Vince and not liking Adam Cole, that's all good stuff. So but Adam Cole, like, I thought the Adam Cole and Jericho stuff was really good, too, so. Uh, Sam Diaz writes in, uh, uh, my question for you is, which wrestler today in any promotion would you say needs new attire? I would have said Baron Corbin until this week's NXT. Um, trunks to tights. Let's see, because I, I, I often... Also, when are you starting the Not Sam Wrestling Federation of Wrestling? The world needs NSFW. I agree with that. The minute I find a backer, I'll start a wrestling promotion. And it'll mop the floor with, you know, very low-level indies. Um, who do I think needs an attire change? You know, I think Corbin uh, made the right move. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm looking around my room to see if any, like, uh, wrestling figures remind me of somebody who needs an entire change, but nothing is, nothing has grabbed me. I'm sure the minute I finish recording the podcast, I'll think of one and kick myself. Uh, TJ writes, bro, there is more than one story in this. Sammy, Roman, even Heyman has an arc, but today, today, my friend Jay got to finish his thing of beauty. This has been flawless. I love wrestling. Incorrect. Incorrect. Jay's story did not finish at Money in the Bank. Jay's story gets finished at SummerSlam, and it ends sad. Jay's story does not get a happy ending. He's never cut out for that. Uh, Ultra Boy writes, uh, which tag team match uh, is better? The Usos versus uh, Theo, I'm assuming you mean KO and Sammy at WrestleMania 39, or the Elite Civil War AEW Revolution 2020? I say the first one. I mean... In turn, it depends on what you're watching for, right? Are you watch like that's what's so great about wrestling right now, right? That that 
In the last two weekends, we got two amazing pay-per-views, but both were completely different. Forbidden Door was unreal. It had some of the best matches that you're going to see all year, but it was just matches. Money in the Bank, there was a story in every single segment. It's out of this world. I prefer storytelling. I, I think that the, the Usos versus KO and Sammy at WrestleMania 39 was a far superior story to the elite civil war at AEW Revolution 2020. Far superior. We all understood. Like the elite civil war, we all kind of knew exactly where the story was going the whole time. It was just really fun to watch it play out. In terms of in-ring match quality, maybe it's the elite. But like wrestling to me is about stories. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I can't remember a tag team match that has had it. I mean, when is a tag team match main event at WrestleMania? WrestleMania won. That's it. Uh, Tim writes in, what's the haps? Appreciate you. Have you checked out uh, the episodes of the Behind the Bastards podcast on Vince McMahon? If not, you should. It's great, well-researched, in-depth exploration of history. Uh, I haven't, but you're the second person that suggested that to me. So I'll take that very seriously, Tim. I appreciate that. Also, it would be great to see AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels for one last time. What do you think? That would be an awesome retirement match for both. Like at the end of AJ Styles' run, I'd love to see like a super card built somewhere with AJ versus Christopher Daniels as the main event. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Um, Jeremy writes in, uh, who's your Mount Rushmore of heels? The only rule I have in diversifying this is that their career must uh, be the majority played as a heel, obviously. Uh, doesn't matter if they were over with the fans or not, but they were the bad guy. And we all know we should boo the bad guys. Well, they have to be over if you want them on the Mount Rushmore. Um, so I think you have to look at what uh, the job of a heel is, right? And that's to get over a baby face and to sell tickets to be beaten, right? I think uh, if you go to WrestleMania three, okay, so I go Piper, Andre from WrestleMania three. Um, it's hard to think of really, really just great heels. I'm kind of going over the WrestleMania role. Ric Flair. So I got Piper, Andre, Flair, and honestly, maybe Randy Orton. I don't know. Maybe Jake Roberts. Well, I don't know, because he was a, well, Jake Roberts pretty good heel, but he wasn't really a main event heel. Kind of have to be main event heels, top guy heels, in my opinion. Um, Iron Sheik, but he didn't really, his run wasn't quite as long on top. It might be Piper, Andre, Flair, Orton, Randy Orton. Might be. Am I, I, that's without research, so don't don't hold me on that. But um, Enzo just got done watching NXT Gold Rush, and man, did I get excited to see Baron Corbin go back to his lone wolf gimmick. Yes, kind of upset that he lost to Carmelo Hayes, but I get it. What direction do you think Creative now goes with Corbin? And do you see him contending or in the title picture for either World or WWE Undisputed Champion? No, I don't see him there. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're there with him yet. 
you know, he's been losing every match up until now. Uh, but that said, the theme music change, going back to the Lone Wolf, I thought it was great. Match was awesome. Whole story worked. I hope Baron goes back to being a threatening, ruthless bad guy. I think Corbin's potential has barely been tapped. You guys probably know by now I'm a Baron Corbin guy, but I was super happy to see it. And I, I, I hope they go all the way with it. Uh, my man, uh, D'Angelo, my question for you is, uh, I remember at one point seeing Triple H, Orton, and Edge uh, all be good, but not seem like staples until they got dirt on themselves by having a gritty match with Cactus Jack. Let's see. I would, not, uh, maybe with Edge, definitely Orton and definitely Hunter. I'll give you that. Uh, they all say after those rivalries, they were seen as serious threats. I think, I think Edge is different, but I think Orton and Triple H, yes. Um, I feel Austin Theory is now at the exact point. So who do you think his, uh, in your opinion, will be his Cactus Jack? That's a great question. Who could Austin Theory fight that could be his Cactus Jack where we'd see this kind of, ruthless side of Austin Theory because it wasn't John Cena, right? Like, he won, but John Cena didn't make him tap into something different. Um, I don't know if you could tell that story with Finn, ba Finn Balor, maybe with Seth Rollins, right? With a title on the line where you have to do something. I mean, the, the hardcore style is not something. Leave your comments on that one. Throw something in the comments on YouTube for that one. Because I know there's there are people. Keep it to the main WWE roster. That's a great question. Um, Hayden says, who would you pick to beat Wesley for the North American Championship? And, uh, okay, who would I pick to beat Wesley? Uh, probably Dragon Lee, Family Warfare. And <laughs> if the New Day ever had a triple threat match without turning on each other, how would you book it? And who would you pick to win? Uh if it's not, if they're not turning on each other, if it's just a brotherly love thing, Xavier Woods has to win. If there's a heel, Big E would have to be the heel, I think. Or Kofi as a heel would be awesome. It'd be awesome to have Kofi be a heel and him win. But if 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 it's just like three brothers that uh, have a common goal, so they're just in a position where they have to have a triple threat, I would have them shake hands. I would have them all acknowledge that they're going to do their best. Uh, I would have them go at it. I would have Xavier win. I would have Big E and Kofi put them up on their shoulders. Um, I'm not going to do this one. And by the way, some of you guys like sent like a ton of emails, like two or three emails. I deleted them. So send one email. Uh, Michael says, love your podcast. Uh, maybe even better than Corey's After the Bell. It is. It's much better than Corey Graves' After the Bell. But that's not because of the After the Bell podcast. It's because... I'm better than Corey Graves. Uh, where's Giovanni been? They wrote him off TV and I haven't heard why. That's not true. Okay, that's that's wrong. Um, all right, one last question. Uh, let's see. Okay, as a lifelong WWE fan, I've naturally got a question. Oh, no, I think I, 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 think I skipped a couple and we did it. Okay, we did it, we did it. All right, I hope I got to all your emails. If not, I apologize. Uh, make sure you get your tickets. Go to notsamlive.com 
for the live show. I hope to see you all there. I hope to see you all uh, interacting on the YouTube channel. Uh, and I hope to see you all on Patreon at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. But most importantly, I hope to see you next week right here for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling.